everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dribble Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian Newspaper, taking you through another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and WA Basketball in general to give you the best insight possible into what's happening in the sport throughout this state. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by former Perth Wildcats captain Sean Redditch ahead of Friday night's historic retiring of his famous number 42 jersey, plus Perth Lynx star Amy Atwell will join us after being selected in the Australian Opal squad for the first time. But first, it's been a long time between drinks since the Perth Wildcats retired a jersey. Ricky Grace, Mike Ellis, James Crawford, Scott Fenton, Scott Fisher and Andrew Vlahov's jerseys already hang from the roof in RSC Arena. And on Friday night, number 42, Sean Redditch will join them. Sean, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, yeah, going to be an exciting week, so uh, looking forward to uh, Friday night, that's for sure. It's been a while since I actually announced it, so what, what's the build-up like for you, given you've known for a bit, but it, you, got, you get the anticipation now? Yeah, well, I mean, going to the game on uh, Saturday and, and seeing the open air and then uh, being able to... Uh, I just get it soak in a little bit. Um, I, you know, looking forward to uh, finally, I guess, uh, having it uh, unveiled um, in a you know in a few days' time. It's um, you know it's definitely uh, you know an honor you don't take lightly. And I mean, you mentioned it there. I think the last one was Ricky Grace, um, and that was a while back. So you know, my first game here was um ricky grace's testimonial game before the the actual preseason game so uh you know it was back in 2005 and uh you know i guess it's always tough to to back up probably the greatest uh wildcat of all time but uh yeah definitely a, a, a huge honor we have family flying from the u.s or anything like that or is that just expensive and not realistic oh look we'd love to have the family here um i think there's variety of reasons probably not going to be likely but um you know my family here friends and and teammates and you know uh 14,000 red army i think it'll uh be a pretty good pretty good celebration so how much do you admire the other names up there because that's a big part about it i reckon that you, it's not just you're going up it's that you're going up to join those blokes yeah, well, I mean, you, you think about those names. They're not only icons of, of the Perth Wildcats, but they're icons of, of WA sport. And, uh, you know, you look at where the Wildcats are today, and, and it doesn't happen unless uh, you've got some incredible players and human beings come come before you and, uh, you know, kind of lay the foundation. So, uh, you know, Mike Ellis kind of started it off, and um, and then you, you've got those – those guys that came through Vlahoff and Crawford and Grace and Fisher that kind of, uh, you know, kind of led the charge of uh, building the Wildcats to where they are um, now. And, uh, you know, been fortunate to be, be a part of, you know, kind of our history um, through, through the time that I spent with the club. So, I mean, you look at that, just tremendous amount of respect and um, you, know, you still walk around uh, Perth and, and everyone talks about kind of the glory days of, of those guys that, uh, you know, they just put the Wildcats on the map. And, and, you know, that's hard to do. I mean, you come in a new club that comes in and just takes over a city and um, just the appreciation and, I guess, the, the pride that they have uh, here in WA with the Wildcats, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And, and your era was such a golden era as well. There could be a, a spate of these sorts of things happening in the future, isn't there? Like, you're going to start, you'll, you'll be the first of what could be several of your teammates going in as well. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at uh, look at the success, 
that we had over over say that six seven ten year period um you know damian martin jesse wagstaff maddie Knight, craig Hire, um you know these guys have just kind of you know they put on that wildcats jersey and they uh absolutely loved it and uh you know, you know had, had a lot of success so you know there hasn't been too many teams that um, played in that many grand finals in such a short period of time and been able to win a few championships along the way. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some more names deserving, that's for sure. One of the really cool things I reckon about yourself is that you came to Perth with just the hope of building a career. Uh, there was no real hype about you at, at the time, but you end up playing 380 games, six Wildcats MVP awards, four championships and Olympics. Uh, what are your favourite memories of such an extraordinary career? Oh, look, I think, yeah, sometimes, I mean, like, you, you do these interviews and people rattle off that stuff and you just kind of pinch yourself. Like, I was just lucky to, to come over and have a job and uh, just get a chance to, to play NBL, you know, when you when you have the New Zealand Breakers and, and they cut you and tell you, you know, pretty much that you're not uh, up to NBL standard. Um, you know, to kind of get a second chance doesn't happen to a lot of players. Um, and then to, to make the most of it and then uh, carve out a career at the, the best club in, in Australian um, you know, NBL is uh, it, it just kind of uh, just out of the realm of possibilities, really. Um, you know, I, my initial goal was to play college basketball, get a scholarship. Um, you know, parents said that they weren't going to pay for college. So if I want if I didn't want to have a lot of debt when I finished my college degree, um, get on the basketball court and start working hard so uh that's kind of what i did that was my goal um kind of probably my senior year in college i thought well let's give this professional thing a crack um the only job offer i got was tasmania um you know i landed in bernie tasmania and um played in my first game in penguin i think uh penguin tasmania and uh you know kind of away you went and um you just never know what's going to happen you just take your opportunities and you know there's probably tons of basketballers out there just as good as me that probably just didn't have that opportunity but uh you know i was fortunate to to have that opportunity and make the most of it Penguin, what a great team name. Um, now, this is what this is what I reckon anyone understands. You mentioned New Zealand before. So they signed you, but eventually they decided you weren't good enough, and it wasn't long before they didn't decide you weren't good enough. But this is your first game. Some audio from your first game. Oh, my goodness. Redditch. His confidence must be sky high now. That's a big play. And now on the fast break at the other end. Don't hang on the furniture. Redditch. Don't hang on the furniture. What a great line. So you scored 27 points on Naboo. A few weeks later, you had four single-digit games in a row, and they sacked you. Like, what happened? Oh, look, I think there's a... I I think a lot of it comes down to the business side of sports. Um, And and you see this happens with clubs all over the spot, um, all over the league, especially, uh, you know, things aren't going well, and... You know, the, the Breakers were a new team, second year in the NBL, uh, just trying to crack in and and uh, kind of make their mark on the league. Um, you know, I was kind of brought in to, to back up Perro Cameron, who's icon of New Zealand basketball, you know, a few years earlier coming off the, an all-star five at the at the World Championships, which is just uh, just an incredible achievement for him. So, you know, my role was to kind of be that spark off the bench. Um, you know, it was kind of that 
first time in, in I guess, the professional that I'd kind of played that role. So it was a bit of a learning experience for me. Um, and then, you know, we lost a few games and, uh, you know, I think, I think there was a little bit, uh, originally they, they'd wanted to sign Marcus Timmons, um, but he got, he decided to go back to Cairns. Um, but then they released him It just kind of started this domino where then that he was available. Um, and they thought, you know, he, that he could come in and, and kind of save the team that, that year and, and was a better fit. So, um, you, you kind of quickly learned it is the, uh, business side of sports and, and unfortunately, um, but you know, look back on it now, I'm, uh, I'm thankful I got, uh, they made that change and, uh, eventually ended up out West. So, uh, you know, when I landed here and get taken to Scarborough beach and, you know, get to watch the sunset and, uh, get to train, uh, here, here in the West and, you know, the winter times are, uh, pretty mild compared to where i'm from in nebraska so uh you know i just feel like i'm on on holidays uh since i arrived and you didn't take long to settle in one of your very early games 30 points 11 rebounds 15 assists against sydney spirit in 2006 you also had a 40 point a 41 point game throughout your career with the wildcats is, is there a single game which you look back on and just think i felt unstoppable in that match oh look i mean it, it is one of those things where when you're in the zone, it is a fun place to be, uh, you know, uh, especially at, at this high level when you just feel like anything you throw up is going to go go in. Um, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, uh, it, it's a pretty special feeling, especially when you do something like that at home and the crowd's into it. Um, you know, I, I, I was fortunate. I played with some some incredible um, point guards, especially you know Damian Martin, um, you know Brad Robbins, and and those guys that kind of uh, knew the game. And and uh, you know when when you got players that that, that can really know the game and, and can kind of set you up, it makes the game easy on on your end as well. You enjoyed so much team success as well, and the club has enjoyed immense success. Uh, your first championship came in your first season as captain. 24 point lead with Perth. They are going to win the NBL Championship of 2010. The Perth Wildcats become the most successful team in NBL history. So most successful team in NBL history back then. They're clearly the most successful team in NBL history now. The interesting thing was the club hadn't won a championship in a decade. So you, you, you mentioned that golden era of those, those blokes before you, and it's been a golden era since that time as well. So what was it like getting the club back to, to that sort of level for the, for the first time in a little while? Yeah, I think it was kind of that uh, monkey off your back uh, a little bit. You know that the expectations are to win championships. And, um, you know, I've been here since... 2005 and we really hadn't had a um a chance at, at winning it yet we hadn't made a we made a couple semi-finals but we hadn't made the grand final yet um and then that year you know it was a completely different team i mean they they almost got rid of everyone i think besides me paul rogers uh jeff Taddell, i think and um and brad robbins and then the rest of the team was was brand new and you know rob beverage came in and kind of brought a different uh feel to the and i guess a different uh, style as well and i remember having a chat to him saying you know he's going to sign this you know we already had brad robbins who was one of the best defenders in the league and then he's like we're going to sign damian martin um which you i only really knew a little bit about him you know he played um 
only a few games, I think the year before the spirit, before he'd gotten injured. Um, but obviously, uh, Bevo spoke quite highly of him and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, two defensive point guards, uh, you know, we're definitely going to have to play some pressure defense and, and boy, did we do that. We, you know, full court, we were, you know, 40 minutes. Um, yeah, I remember that game, uh, game three, I think Illawarra came out on fire. They were up like 15 in the first half at some point. And I'm thinking, geez, you can't, we can't lose um, game three at home in the in the grand final. And then Kevin Lish just goes berserk. I think he had a half court shot at the end of the three quarter time, and it just changed. And that, and that was the way our our team played that year. We were just full court. You know, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to play all 40 minutes. Um, we we're going to try and tire you out. And uh, it was almost like a tag team effort. You know, when Damian Mark went off, Brad Robbins came in. Um, when I came off, Jesse Wagstaff, that was his rookie year. So, you know, I, I really didn't think that we had the team capable of winning the championship that year. So it probably made it a little bit more special that we, we did, uh, did win it because we had so many young guys. I mean, you look at the photos of, of Jesse and Damian Martin and, and those guys. Um, it was, uh, you could, you could tell how young and inexperienced we all were, but we were just, uh, making the most of the opportunities. So what sort of a captain were you given, as I said, it was a new team, a young group as well. Like, what what sort of captaincy uh, philosophy did you have? Oh, look, I think I was, I was you know, God kind of led, led by example, you know, putting in the extra work off the court, making sure, um, you know, we were ready, ready for the game and, uh, you know, kind of just set the, the standard of, um, you know, what, what what it means to be a wildcat i think that uh you, you know you put on that red jersey and uh you you get out there in front of the red army it's uh it's it's a true privilege and uh you know looking back on it now it's it's one of those things you miss you know running out uh knowing that that the red army is is right behind you and and you get to uh not only represent you know your team and your teammates in the country but or, or your um your city but also the state i mean there's you know there's a lot of prod in the wildcats and you know just trying to honor you know i was fortunate to have tony ronaldson and paul rogers and those guys who uh you know have a tremendous amount of respect to, to learn from them and you know and then and partner up with with damian martin and, and brad robbins to be co-captains uh and down the track as well was 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 a huge honor biggest negative of of your time probably would have had to have been that horrific hip injury uh talk us through your memories of that and and whether you had real fears you might not get back from it oh i think i think any any realistic um probably person probably would have thought that yeah i won't be able to um play again i mean it's never never a good feeling when you know, you wake up from surgery and, and the doctor walks in and, and the first question you ask is, do you have any other qualifications other than uh, being a professional basketballer? Um, because I think the, those days are well and truly behind you um, with this injury. So uh, it was, yeah, I mean, that's that's a shock to your system. Um, you know, you're doing what you love. It's something that uh, you dreamt of, you know, from when you first picked up that basketball and year two um and then uh, all of a sudden it's just a abrupt stop and um you're dealing with not only you know an injury um but something that probably could affect the rest of your life you know potentially not even be able to to walk again um so it just gave you a bit more of appreciation for getting back out on the court and you know i guess i probably took that mindset and maybe maybe getting 
you know, released by New Zealand and, and all those things that, uh, you know, it wasn't an easy, easy path um, to eventually get here. Uh, probably made me a little bit stronger and hopefully, um, I guess, helped me through those those difficult times. And, um, yeah, it was probably one of the, the most proud moments I had uh uh, individually was just getting back out on that court um, for that, that first game the next season, which actually ended up being uh, in Adelaide, I think. And not only that, like you're asked, do you have any other qualifications? You've turned your business career into a basketball career as well because you, you, you're still doing it. You're running clinics and running and coaching and on court all the time. So your body has stood up to not only playing again, but to post career constantly being on court. Yeah, I mean, you've got a, a definitely a, a, an even greater appreciation for coaching and being able to, uh, I guess, inspire that that next generation. Um, I always thought it was, it was tough work uh, um, playing, but uh, you know, when you're on court coaching five six hours and, and really mentally engaged, and and uh, it's it, it's it's tiring as well. But uh, you know, I, I would be doing anything else you know i love the game and uh, be able to get back and inspire that that next generation i just you know whether it be watching um coaching it's uh you know i just think it's a fantastic game i'm uh you know i fell in love with it when i was a young boy and uh you know i'm lucky to to be able to still still be involved and your young boys fell in love with it as well how how old is he now and how's he tracking Look, he's uh, yeah, he's just turned twelve a, a few months ago, so he's he's enjoying his basketball playing for the Perry Lakes Hawks. I'm I'm coaching his team, and uh, it's a it, it's a lot of fun. He's he, he's a better shooter now than than I definitely ever was, uh, especially at that age. So uh, you know, he's a knockdown three point shooter and and enjoying it. I think he's kind of come up in that uh, Steph Curry generation so everyone wants to shoot the threes but uh, it's um, yeah, it, it's fun just to see that development you know from when he picked up the ball when he was probably six or seven and um, you know he's enjoying it and having fun so that's all you can ask as a parent. And I'm sure he'll be excited to see his old man's jersey heading up into the rafters on Friday night, which will happen post-game uh, this week. So it won't be a pre-game uh, ceremony. It'll be post-game. So there's a little bit of pressure on the players to, to go out and beat the Kings to make sure that the, the crowd is rolling along at the end of the game. And I'm sure 13,000 people will be singing happy birthday to you as well, given they've timed it perfectly. The number 42 goes up the day before you turn 42. I mean, and what, what do you know about the night? Are you going to have lots of friends there roasting you or pumping you up do you know much about it at the moment look i think yeah i mean my understanding is it's it's going to be after the game um we've got a few uh people you know involved in the club um to to have a chat out there on on the center court so it's uh you know and you know i guess from my point of view i just want the wildcats to beat the sydney kinks i mean uh it's uh you know i'm looking forward i think the the wildcats are coming along the last two games especially they've uh you know they've been been building some momentum so uh i think that would be the the ultimate topper for me is uh see the wildcats um beat the kings who you know they 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 won the championship last year and, and had a great year so i think uh you know they're they're kind of the the barometer this year and and i think it'd probably get a good song to see kind of you know how the wildcats made those inroads from from the start of the year to, to now and see how they, they track but I'm, I'm excited for for the knot and hopefully uh the fans can celebrate a win uh and then uh have another celebration after the game 
So the Wildcats are now 12 and 10 and in fifth spot, as we said, home against Sydney on Friday and then away to southeast Melbourne on Sunday. And the Phoenix have lost five in a row, whereas they produced a stinker against Brisbane on Monday night. Um, this roster the Wildcats have put together. Now, everyone questioned when Ty Webster came in why they went with the small rather than the big. Geez, they're fun to watch, aren't they? They can score. Well, yeah, well, they put up 112 points the other night and, um, you know, a lot of the starters hardly played in the fourth quarter, so it was uh, you know, it, it was an, an impressive showing. Um, you know, I think to me the the win before against New Zealand, when um, when Bryce Cotton was having an off game, um, and they still were able to get a win against Siena, you know, a quality team in the Breakers. I think to me that was that was really encouraging. You were kind of waiting for that game where they needed to just grind out a win. Um, when they weren't playing well, and then obviously when they're just shooting the lights out against a, a talented Adelaide team, uh, I think they're gonna be tough, tough to beat. But yeah, I mean it's a, it's a tough lineup there when when you got Ty and Corey and and Bryce. I mean I, I'd hate to be uh, the coach trying to figure out how do we stop this because if you stop stop Bryce, which is you know teams are loading up on him, um, you know Ty's Ty's aggressive and you know he's a great passer, but. He's also got a little bit of a scoring mentality as well. So, you know, he starts getting four, six, eight points, and then Corey starts going, and then, all right, we'll loosen up, and then that gets um, Bryce going. It's, uh, you know, it's a scary lineup, and then you, you throw in Manic when he's hitting threes out of uh, everywhere on the court. It's a, it, it's, it's a tough, tough lineup to defend when you've got so many scores. Uh, will certainly be a big night on Friday night. So, look, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for your time. Um, players rarely get the opportunity to be celebrated in the years after their retirement and certainly not when their kids are in age to really enjoy it. So Friday night promises to be a massive occasion. We hope you, you, hope you have a great time. We hope your family has a great time. And thanks for coming on the Dribble Podcast. Appreciate it. Well, it's always a big moment for any athlete when they receive the honour of representing their country. For Perth Lynx star Amy Atwell, the chance to pull on the green and gold uniform hasn't happened yet, but she is one significant step closer after being picked for the Opals for their 2023 Asia Cup and 2024 uh, Olympic squads. And I'm pl- happy to say Amy is online at the moment. Amy, welcome back to the Drill Podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, the first time you were on the Bureau podcast was the day of you, you were drafted to the WNBA. It took forever to try to find you. Know, I was talking to your dad. I was talking to your sister. I was talking to people at, at uni. Uh, it, was, it was a bit crazy. This is a bit easier to find. You're just driving home from training, aren't you? Yeah, just just driving home has been a um, crazy, well, almost a year now since um, I spoke to you after getting drafted and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, definitely a bit easier to contact me now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what does this opportunity mean for you now to be to be selected in this uh, Opal squad? Oh, it's unreal. Um, I think it's every little girl's dream. It's the first kind of thing that I set my mind to when I picked up a basketball and was like, one day I want to put on the green and gold and I want to represent my uh, country. And I, it's the highest honour in kind of any professional sporting um, realm, so it means the world just to have to be one step closer and be able to um, be named in that squad. So a lot of people would view you know, WNBA as, as the pinnacle or trying to get to that first, but you always looked at it as the Opals were the absolute goal, number one, pe- top of the pecking order. Yeah, well, I've said it before, and like the WNBA kind of just came up, came up on me. I had a really good senior season, and it kind of came out of nowhere, but. Yeah, Opals has been the dream since day one and, and wearing Australia across my chest has been the dream since day one. So how do you find out you've been picked? Is it a phone call? Is it an email? Is it a Zoom session? What, what, how does the process work? Uh, it was an email, actually, and I had 
got the email um, after training on, I think it was Thursday, and I just checked my phone, and I don't really normally read that much into my emails, <laughs> so I kind of checked my phone and looked at it. I was like, oh, okay, and then just clicked on it. I was like, wait, hang on. Hang on a second. <laughs> um, and then it kind of hit me what was what was happening. So is that from Sandy or is that from someone at BA? From Sandy, yeah. So had you ever received an email from Sandy before? Never. So I probably should have... Uh, caught on sooner when I got an email from Sandy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is the really interesting part about your selection. Not many Aussies get drafted to the WNBA before, but you have, especially ones who haven't played for Australia at any level before. Like, were you forgotten about at any point through your junior development or did you just develop so much uh, at the WNBA level that that was the reason why you hadn't worn a, a green and gold jersey as a 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old? Yeah, I mean, I had an extremely tough age group growing up. I had a lot of time in my age group, and I do like to think that I probably matured and, um, like, I guess, progressed in my career a lot faster at an older age. Um, so, I mean, I was always around and about when I was younger, but um, you know, I was never able to crack into the Australian junior squad or anything like that. And I think my time at Hawaii really kind of flipped my career on its head and um, kind of took off from there. So what changed in Hawaii? What was the key? Well, I had, so I had a whole bunch of knee injuries and stuff through my first couple of years at Hawaii. And then once I finally was getting healthy again, I kind of just was like, I'm kind of getting to that age. I was 20, 21. I was like, if I really want to make a cracker, this is going to be now or never kind of thing. Um, and it was during that, that COVID that COVID year coming back from COVID, I was just like, pretty much was like, all right, it's kind of now or never and put everything I had into it, got in the best shape of my life, was... I'm a lot more committed to everything that I had ever been, and I kind of reaped the benefits through my basketball. So when you look at you on, on court, you look strong, you look lean, you look fit. You've got you've got a, a real fitness element to the way you just you just move on court and the way, and the way you look in general. Was that is that something that you only developed a bit later? Was it were you previously not as necessarily professional, or the way you approach things as, as a younger athlete? Were you, were you not the same look back then? I suppose you could say. Um, yeah, I've definitely gotten fitter and stronger for sure. Um, a little bit of that was just my knee injuries and stuff and not being able to put in the work and the workload that I can now just because of obviously health and physical health reasons. But um, I definitely put a big emphasis on getting just physically in the best shape, um, regardless of kind of basketball skill and putting myself in the best position to be able to maintain that workload and put in the work that is required. And um, yeah, I did a lot of work with my strength and conditioning coach at Hawaii on my fitness and my strength and kind of my physique and it's worked. And that was a knee Rico, wasn't it, in that first year in, in Hawaii or was it the second year in Hawaii? So yeah, it was actually before I went to Hawaii, a couple months before I went to Hawaii, I had a knee Rico and then I had another couple meniscus surgeries over in Hawaii. So it was kind of like a three, three and a half year thing of just knee reconstruction took me the 12 months of course and then it was just like another couple niggly meniscuses here and there which was a month here a month there and just kind of adds up when it's back to back so when you got so much going on it was in the thing that i found really interesting on draft day was that normally when someone gets drafted basketball australia celebrates from the from the rooftops you know charlotte hill ezzy magbegore even jade melbourne were, were all given shout outs on social media luke travis dyson daniels you didn't get mentioned by Basketball Australia until after you'd put something out yourself. Did you feel like you'd almost been forgotten about because you hadn't been in their face and through pathway programs and, as you said, not playing for a little bit? Was that sort of the feeling about why you may not have been mentioned on the day? Oh, I mean, I honestly didn't even notice and it's not something 
I read too much into. I haven't been, I had been over in Hawaii for six years. And like you said, I had never been a part of the Basketball Australia um, junior teams or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I had to put myself on the map somehow. <laughs> but um, no, I I didn't even notice um, no, nothing I read into. And obviously, I haven't been in the Basketball Australia program as a junior. So, makes sense. So, how well do you know this squad personally? Uh, the Australian squad? Yeah, the, t- the players you'll be, you'll be preparing for when you go into camp. How well do you know them? Um, well, I know a few of them, obviously, playing with a few, a couple of them now and playing against a lot of them. Um, personally, I don't know a lot of them too well, but I'm excited to get to know them. And the one thing that stands out with this squad, I reckon, when you look at some of the players that have been selected, is the three-point shooting. Uh, it could be a real weapon for the team, and that's certainly something you've been displaying in recent games. Loves playing for this Perth Lynx side. So too does Amy Atwell. And nails a three. Atwell now launches. Atwell. Massive. Atwell. Oh, with the hand in her face. Yes, could not miss the other night. It was quite amazing how you were performing. Um, as I said, there are so many talented shooters in this squad. Does that really excite you that you can all come together? Yeah, definitely. I think um, there is some amazing shooters in that squad and it's going to be really exciting to see where that goes and where the Australian squad and team goes and where that can take us. So Australia obviously had a poor uh, Olympics with the Liz Cambage controversy plaguing them. Then they won bronze World Cup with a vastly different looking team. France 2024 is 19 months away and Sammy Wickham will be 36 and Kayla George and Mariana Toll will be 35. Tess Magin will be 34. Form dictates everything obviously when it comes to birth dates as well but there's an Asia Cup along the way for this group also but it does feel like it's a big opportunity for the next wave of players has, has there been any messaging along those lines that's been put out to you all? Uh, no not really and I think there probably won't until I mean age is just a number at this point and I think Sammy showed everybody the other night that she's still in career best form and can still do whatever she wants on the court basically <laughs> um, so I think uh, in that terms of that, it's just I don't think you read too much into age. I mean, yes, of course, but if they're still performing at the highest level, and of Kayla George has just been insane this year as well. So um, they're they're very much showing us that they're still in uh, career form and can still perform at that level. So Olympics, there's everyone's dream, I reckon, from the time you start growing up. But you mentioned wanting to play for the Opals. Was the Olympics the the big pinnacle, even on top of wearing that green and gold? Oh, definitely. Um, I think. When you think Opals, you think World Cup and Olympics. That's kind of like the highest stage and that's the pinnacle. And, of course, you want to wear the green and gold, but to do it at the Olympics would just be, like, dream come true. How did you watch the World Cup? What sort of a fan were you when it was on the TV? Were you sitting at home watching it by yourself? Were you hanging out with other players from the links? Like, what, what was it like when the, when the Opals come together? What's the basketball community do that you hang out with? Um, I actually watched most of the games just at home with my mum. A few of them were after training. We missed a couple of them. Um, due to just conflict with training times. But, um, no, I was just at home watching them with my mum, actually. Up and about the yeah, up and about the entire time as Lauren Jackson went nuts in a couple and Sammy went nuts in a couple? Oh, of course. I mean, knowing that I was about to play with Sammy and just being able to, to watch Lauren Jackson again on that stage for the final time is just a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. And you had that moment on the, on the weekend where you scored 25 points in a game where Sammy absolutely runs a muck. Lauren Jackson fouled out, so he didn't get to spend much time on court going up against her. But that game where yeah, you couldn't miss must have been really fun. Yeah, no, it was super fun. And we kind of knew coming in that we hadn't beat any of the top four teams. And if we really want to make a push for finals, then we're going to have to start doing that eventually. And 
um, I think we've shown across the last couple of weeks that we can play some really good basketball when we're all on the same page and clicking, and it was nice for it to all come together. And it's a really great example, I reckon, for younger players with, with yourself. You and I spoke a couple of weeks about, about how your three-point shots just suddenly deserted you. You were four of 22 at 18% across four games, and in the last three matches, you're 10 from 20, and you just haven't looked like missing. Even the ones that have missed, they've gone so close. Like Shooters just have to keep shooting, don't they? You just have to maintain your faith that eventually they will start landing again and the world will be good. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, like I said before, you're a shooter. A shooter's a um, you're more than likely to go through shooting slumps through various stages of your career. Like sometimes it once a year, sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it, it happens in the worst possible moments. Um, but it's definitely just about that confidence of continuing to take that next shot and having the confidence that eventually they will fall and you've put the work in. So it'll come back eventually. <laughs> we mentioned WNBA before. It was an amazing experience getting drafted and, and, and then playing. WNBA's Los Angeles Sparks announced on Thursday that the third-round draft choice made the opening night roster. Now, Atwell was impressive in the preseason, scoring 19 points in 15 minutes last week, going 6-for-6 from three-point range. So you had a a great preseason. You get onto court, you start in your first game, and then you're waved after only, only four matches. How do you reflect now on your WNBA experience? Yeah, I think it taught me a lot. Um, obviously, I had a really good preseason, hit out with them and made the opening right roster and did all the right things, but it's such a tough league and you got to keep conforming to stay there, and unfortunately, I wasn't. But um, I, have, I learned so much from that experience, what it takes to get there, what it takes to stay there, and what it takes to kind of get back. So I'm just, I've taken that experience and I'm going to continue to use that throughout my career and hopefully get back there. It's such a... It feels like a brutal process. Like, you're, you're playing against the Sydney Flames this weekend and Shyla Heal had the exact same experience as you as a top 10 pick and getting waved, although she didn't even get to, to play a game. Um, Hannah Shervin is also playing for the Flames at the moment and she was drafted to pick after you. She got three opportunities and then she was pushed out as well. Is it, is it really hard for, for draftees just to, to, to have the opportunity to impress and stay in the system? Yeah, well, it's just it's an extremely competitive league and there's only... 12 teams, 12 roster spots. There's 144 spots in the league for the best talent in the whole world. Um, so it's extremely tough to, to get in there and stay there. And when you have such talent in the league already coming in as a draftee and a rookie, it's like you've got to put your best foot forward. Otherwise, um, you know, they have other people. Do you get any feedback from them um, in the months afterwards? Like, is there any contact that, re- that continues, given you've had a relationship with them, or, or are you left to your own devices just to figure it out? Um, yeah, no, I haven't had much contact with them, but it's basketball at that level. It's a business as much as anything, and they're going to move on to the next um, who's on the squad kind of thing. And I spoke to some of them when I left. There was no bad blood. I have still have good relationships with a lot of them, and keep in touch with a few of them through Instagram, staff members, players and stuff. Um, so, but yeah, in terms of the basketball side of things, not much. It's amazing to think that you spent such a large portion of your actual life living in Hawaii, given you're, you were there for, for so long. How, how have you settled back into living in WA, back with the family and all, all in the things that you grew up with, but that would have changed so much while you are away? Yeah, definitely. It was definitely tough at first coming back after six years and I moved back in with my parents um, so moving, I think moving back in with your parents after not living with them for six years for anyone would be a bit of an adjustment. Um, but they understood that, and I've got uh, definitely feel much more comfortable now coming back and 
I'm back in my routine of playing and traveling and stuff like that. Um, so I'm super happy being back here now, now that I've settled in and kind of got used to it again. Looking at your social media stuff, it was obviously you loved Hawaii. What was it like living over there and how much do you miss it? Oh, I do miss it a lot and it was an unreal lifestyle. I mean, I loved the basketball and everything, but <clears throat> just the ability to, on a Sunday off day, to just go 10 minutes down the road and spend the whole day at the beach with my teammates and just relax and just have that as kind of my back, my backyard was unreal and um, the people there are amazing and all that kind of stuff. So um, I did spend a big chunk of my life there and I loved it and definitely do miss it. So do you plan on heading back to Hawaii as like a second home sort of thing during the off season or do you think you'll play NBL 1? Will you rest? Will you go somewhere else? Like hopefully you get WNBA, obviously, but do you, do you know what you'll do at the end of this season? Um, not entirely yet. I have some options and trying to keep my options open. You mentioned most of them, um, but it's something I'll chat, start chatting to my agent about probably in the next couple of weeks and um, try figure something out. I have I don't really have a obviously preferences you know try to get a WNBA training camp and stuff like that um but yeah I guess we'll see how it goes the team's flying at the moment it's a massive game uh this week against the Flames you've won four in a row you'd love to take it to five wouldn't you oh yeah definitely um but we're not underestimating Sydney Sydney's a great team um and yeah but it would be great to to take it one more and go five in a row and kind of keep this momentum rolling I'm told the team really enjoyed the superhero Lauren Scherf's photos in, in the West last week. Obviously, I knew we'd done it. She knew she'd done it. Chloe Bibby knew that she'd done it because she was part of the article, but everyone else was found out about it when the paper came out. What was the reaction from the team upon seeing the brilliant photos from Andrew Ritchie of uh, Lauren tearing her shirt apart how to coming out as a superhero from a phone booth? Oh, it was the talk of the town. I don't think anyone's shut off about it yet. She's um, now super chef. No, she's not... Nobody calls it anything but Super Chef now. So, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's no surprise what she's done this season. And after that, twenty-two points in a quarter, it's kind of just in awe of, of that girl. Sometimes, uh, certainly was a fun thing to be involved with. I was standing on the ladder, providing some shade for her because it was thirty-four <laughs> degrees. I'm standing on the side of the road on a ladder over the top of a phone booth. She couldn't fit in the phone booth because she's so big. It was quite. It was. A, it was a lot of fun to be involved with. I don't think we really ever estimated how big she was when we asked her to stand in there. So uh, it was good fun. Look, th thanks so much for your time. Uh, as I said, the links are away to the Sydney Flames from two thirty p.m. on Saturday. They're chasing five wins in a row. You've been a hell of a lot of fun to watch this season, Amy. And long may that continue. So thank you for coming on the Dribble Podcast. No worries. Thank you, Craig. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Dribble Podcast. Remember, you can read all of your basketball news in the West Australian newspaper and keep logging on to thewest.com.au. Thank you to Sean Reddidge and Amy Atwell for their time. Thanks to the wonderful Shannon Bevan for her production work. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Dribble Podcast.